Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. All right. Well, good morning again. Welcome to church, the first Sunday in 2022. I know many people are excited that 2021 is beyond us, but I think we were that way last year, weren't we? And 2021 threw us some curveball, or 2021 threw us curveballs that we weren't expecting. I am confident that 2022 will not disappoint. All right. So, so let me ask you this question. How can you confidently plan for the future when the future is filled with so much uncertainty? How do we look into uh, the next year or future years? Uh, one of the things that I used to do um, is that I would uh, go into January expecting to live my best year ever. I expected that to be uh, mentally physically, spiritually. And here's what I found out, that even with those best of intentions, what happened was um, life. And something in that year would make the best year ever not so much the best year ever. And I am confident that this year you are going to be faced with challenges. I am confident that this year life is going to happen, the wheels are going to fall off, you are going to be challenged in your faith. You're going to be challenged in your health. You're going to be challenged spiritually, mentally. The question is, how do we get prepared for that? And I believe it begins with a singular focus on what's really important. Now, is it enough to know better? Does know better translate into do better? No, it doesn't. Uh, you know what? There's a lot of things that I know better, and I still do it. I'm confident that there are things that we know better than to expect or we know better, and yet the reality is when life happens, we aren't going to do better. We're going to fall into the same rut. We're going to fall into the same trap. We're going to forget to call on God first. As Christians, we often know what to do, but the problem is we struggle with actually doing it. Am I, am I the only one? And, and if I'm up here and I struggle with knowing what I'm supposed to do spiritually, where are we all at with that? So that's why I wanted to introduce us, church, to this, the concept of back to the basics. Because in reality, if we don't get the basics right, we're going to struggle. Matter of fact, things will happen to us that will throw us off course when it comes to our spiritual walk. Matter of fact, it'll throw us off course to such a degree that you may not recover. You may not walk back into a church again when life happens, when the bad things come. And so I want to introduce you to the scripture verse that I want us all to, I'm going to lead you through this. And before the, the series is done, I'm confident that we all will have this memorized. So um, if you have a hot sheet, the uh, verse is there at the bottom of it, the note taker. If you look up at the screen, you can see it there. And so I want to lead us. So, so follow me. I want you to repeat after me. All right. It's very easy. So then. Oh, awesome. All right. 
So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Colossians 2, 6. One more time. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. See, this verse is telling us what to do. We know better. We need to live our lives in Christ Jesus. But the reality is this, that if you have a pulse, that sometime in 2022, matter of fact, sometime this month, I maybe even say sometime today, you're going to struggle, you're going to fall, you're going to stumble, and you're going to forget to live your life in Him. So for us to continue to live our lives in Him is the call. That is why we are going to focus on back to the basics. Here's what we have to do. We have to move from our preferences to purpose. If you are look around you, there is these cards that I put out for everybody. I hope that you'll, this is for you to take. This is for you to hang on to over the next couple of weeks. I hope that you'll hang on to this for the rest of the year. These are sitting all around you. If, you. if there's one there, grab it. That's right. And if you look back to the basics, moving from preference to purpose. And if you turn it over, there's this cool graphic. Say, ooh. And on that cool graphic at the bottom there, you see the lower room and the upper room. And the reality is this, as Christ followers, many of us get stuck in the lower room. And we never, ever make it to the upper room where spiritual growth, where God works in a mighty way. Because here's what happens in the lower room. In the lower room, we get stuck on our preferences. We get stuck on personality. It might be the pastor. It might be the worship leader. It may be uh, somebody here in a church. And that is what draws us to that church. And that is okay because our preferences, that's what gets us in the door. It may not be personality that, that brought you. It may be a program. It may be the kids' ministry. And we have a phenomenal children's ministry. It may be um, beyond that. It may be the beds that we put in the homes. It may be Christmas meals, 717 that we were able to partner with Orvin Smokehouse and, and feed in our community. It may be the men's ministry that you heard Josh talk about a little bit earlier. It may be the ladies' mafia that you've heard me talk about. <laughs> if it's not the programs, it might be the people. You've heard me say this many times. It's better to go to church with a friend than to go to a friendly church. Now, I want us to be a friendly church. Don't, don't, so do, yeah. But here's what I know, is when you go to church with a friend, you're more likely to go back. But here's the, the reality. Sometimes those people start going somewhere else. And because we're going because of a person, when they stop going, guess what we do? We stop going. And the last preference is the place. You may go to a church because that's where my grandma went there. Or maybe that's where you experienced God. And anytime you come into the building, you remember. The problem is that was 10 years ago. That was too long ago. 
And when our preferences change, we leave. See, that's the problem with the lower room living. Because our preferences will change. You may love me when I preach a 30-minute sermon and hate me when I preach a 90-minute sermon. And and you know what it means when you tell a pastor he's got 10 minutes? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) And you know what it means when a pastor looks at his watch? Nothing. That's right. All right, so don't look at yours either. All right, that that just tells me I must be going too fast. I need to slow down. And what I want us to do is to move from preference into that upper room of purpose. The upper room was established by Old Testament practice. Not only that, it was cradled by the early Christian doctrine, and it was a spring for, springboard to spread Christianity. When you experience the upper room life, you won't be the same. The disciples weren't. Oh, they had the same names, the same faces, the same mannerisms. They looked the same, but they weren't. Peter was still brazen, Nathaniel still reflective, and Philip, he was still calculating. The men you know in the Gospels are different in the book of Acts. You see, if you could see their eyes, you'd see it there. If you could hear their voices, you would hear it there. If you could watch them operate, you would feel the passion. These men changed after their upper room experience. Are these the same guys? Well, they are, but they're different. They've stood face to face with God. They sat at the feet of the resurrected king. They are different. Within them dwells a fire that's not found here on earth. Christ has taught them. The Father has forgiven them. The Spirit indwells them. They are not the same. And because they were different, so too is the world. See, when you experience upper room living as a Christian, you won't be the same either. So what is the upper room? Well, in the upper room, you'll find four things. One is prayer. But prayer in such a way that maybe I don't believe that many of us really think about it the way God thinks about it. Scripture, reading the Bible, making it part of our lives. This thing that most of us want to avoid, confession, but it's the one thing that every follower of Christ needs. Confession is directly correlated with sharing the gospel. Those who have unconfessed sins are much, almost impossible for us to share the gospel. When we go to our heavenly father and and seek forgiveness, we are much more likely to tell somebody else about that forgiveness. And the last thing is faith or service. If you look in your note taker in the hot sheet on January 22nd, that's a Saturday morning, we have walked through the Bible that's going to be right here in this room. If you have not signed up yet, you need to. I I waited 20 years to to get to a walk through the Bible event, went this past summer, and then the opportunity came up for us to host it here. And I want you to know, church, that If you want more out of God's word, this is a great start. It will take the Old Testament and bring it to life. And I think in 2022, one thing that we could add that could help us stay in the upper room is to immerse ourselves in Scripture. 
And here's what happens when we make prayer and scripture and confession and, and actually living out our faith, we too will be different. And when we are different, guess what? Our community will be different. India is different. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much, God, that you forgive us. Thank you so much that you gave us your word. Thank you so much that you hear our prayers. God, I ask that you would just prepare the hearts today. Allow them to hear your message, to hear your words. Use me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, here we are, the first week of the year. The first Sunday service. The first week of Back to the Basics. And today, I want to talk to you about the concept of prayer. And, and here's the reality. Is that if I asked you, matter of fact, who in here believes that they should pray more? Thank you. Here's my dilemma. I could preach on prayer 52 weeks a year and deliver a 90-minute sermon. And I'm going to try to do that all in the next 30 minutes. You know that that's not going to happen. So what I've done is I've tried to find what do we need right now? Because I knew in my heart that not only do I need to pray more, but our church needs to pray more. So I want to share with you three things about upper room living and about prayer. And here's the first thing is that prayer is not something that we do. It's a way that we live. I think too many times as Christ followers, we use prayer as a checkbox. Yep, I prayed today. The statistics would horrify you if you knew how little time Christians spend in prayer. You probably have that relative who reaches out once a year. Well, you know what? Our Heavenly Father probably feels the same way because that's the way we reach out to Him. And so the first thing I want to share with you, and I hope that what this do does will ignite a desire, a newfound... Matter of fact, what I hope is that it gives you a different perspective on prayer. And the first thing is that we need to pray bold prayers. I think asking God for $50,000 to start an orphanage is a bold prayer. But you know what? We have a God who answers prayers. The book of Mark in chapter 10, if, if you are here today and you don't own a copy of God's Word, if you look under the seats in front of you, there are Bibles there. And I would encourage you to take one of those out, and if you open it up in the inside cover, there's a message that says, if you don't own a copy of God's Word, we want this copy to go home. Put your name in it. Take it home. We believe that everybody needs a copy of God's Word. If you do have your Bible or if you're looking at one that you just pulled out or if you've opened up your phone, find Mark chapter 10 and I'm going to start reading in verse 46. Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. Then they came to Jericho and as Jesus 
and his disciples together with a large crowd. I don't know if you've ever pictured what it was like for Jesus, but most of, I grew up uh, with the flannel pictures of Jesus, and, and it never really captured the picture of what Jesus was going through. Because there was a flannel Jesus, and there might have been a couple of disciples and a couple of people, but the flannel board never got filled up. And the reality is, when Jesus was working in his ministry for those three years, everywhere he went, there was a crowd. And when we say a crowd, a large crowd. I could imagine that India is probably the the same when I was over in Afghanistan, the way that they had the houses. They're not like our house where you would go and knock on the front door. You would literally go into a courtyard, and that's how you would get into the house. Well, this is what would happen. As Jesus is going, if he went to visit someone in their house, everybody would invite themselves into the courtyard. They'd fill up the house. They'd get on top. I mean, he was followed by crowds. And so I imagine while they were in Jericho that he ministered, he healed the sick, he uh, preached the word. And then it says that they were leaving the city. A blind man... Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, because you can imagine the crowd, they're yelling, they're talking about, did you see what he just did? Did you see that lady that he just healed? Did you see that little child that he just blessed? And here's this blind guy sitting on the side of the road, and he's hearing the words, Jesus of Nazareth. And so he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But many rebuked him. You see, bold prayers, in bold prayers, your desire outweighs your haters' discouragement. Have you ever told a family member, you know what, I need God to do this, and they talk you out of it? Like, you know what, God's not going to do that for you. He's not going to give you that job. He's not going to give you $50,000 right now. But that didn't make blind Bartimaeus stop. He shouted louder. And here's what happened. Men rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. And I would tell you that when somebody tells you, and if it's somebody in church, if it's somebody in your family, if it's somebody online, and they tell you, God's not going to answer a prayer like that, you need to shout all the more to Jesus Christ. And so he shouted, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man. Uh, this has got to be awkward because the same people were telling him, be quiet, shut up, stop, you're embarrassing us. The same people had to reach over to him and say, hey, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if somebody helped him, or I don't know if he just started moving and people were like, this way, a little bit, you know, go that way. I don't know what that looked like, but he was excited that he had been called. Verse 51, Jesus says these words to him. What do you want me to do for you? Folks, I, 
my Bible tells me that God never changes. He's the same today as he was yesterday, and he'll be the same in eternity. And I'm confident that your heavenly father is asking the same question to you today. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You see, prayer isn't something that we do. It's a way that we live. Second thought I want to tell you about prayer is that we need to pray big prayers. You remember the story of Elisha healing Naaman the leper that I talked about last week? Well, in 2 Kings chapter 4, the previous chapter, we hear a story about God answering a big prayer. In verse 1 of 2 Kings 4 says this, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried to Elisha. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Now, I don't know about you, but there's not anything significant about a jar of olive oil. And this is all that she has left in her house. And then here's what the man of God, Elisha, said. He said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars as each is filled. Put it to one side. Now, at this point, this widow has a decision to make. She has just been told what she needs to do. Will she do it? She's asked for a big prayer. The man of God has given her the instructions. Will she follow the instructions? God's word in verse 5 says, She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. Now remember, Elisha's not there. The door's shut. She takes that, that little jar of olive oil that could barely probably even see that there's oil in there, and then she starts pouring, and it just never stops. And the next thing you know, that first jar is filled up, and, and I imagine she looked up, and there's a little bit more in there, but that's filled, so she puts that off to the side. She starts pouring to the next jar. I'm guessing that every time she stopped, this got fuller. And she kept asking her sons for the next jar. And here's what God's word says in verse 6. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. And I, I, Folks, when I, when I see these stories in God's word, I, I, I think about what it's like. I could imagine that the first one sounded like this. Uh, uh, Johnny, I don't think his name is Johnny, but Johnny, uh, go, go get a jar. I'm going to do it because Elisha said to do it. On that last one, it's like, Johnny, give me another one. And then Johnny says, there are no more. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God. And he said, go 
sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Prayer isn't something that we do. Prayer is a way of life. Some of you need to be praying bold prayers today. Some of you have big problems in your life, just like this widow does, and you have a heavenly father that is ready to answer that. But he's expecting you to ask. And the last thing I want to share with you about prayer is to pray insistent prayers. Maybe my favorite passage on how to pray. See, um, we can get stuck in finding all the things that we have to do to qualify ourselves to, to get an answer from God. And, and sometimes we look at those lists and we're like, oh my, I'll never, I'll never make that. And we talk ourselves out. We don't need the haters. We talk ourselves out of reaching out to God. Luke 18, we hear another story. Luke 18 and verse 1 says this, And then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I love it when they start the story with the answer to the question that's coming. I, I had those kind of teachers. You know, they, they, they stomped their foot when there was something that you needed to listen to. In the military, those were my favorite instructors. Uh, all right, guys, listen to me right now. And then they would tell you something, and it was on the test. And sometimes, even though they stomped their foot, I didn't listen. And then it was on the test, and I'm like, oh. And then I prayed, God, help me remember what I was supposed to remember, but I didn't. Here is Jesus. He's telling his disciples. If you go back to Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so now this theme is going where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And then he teaches this one story with the express purpose to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's the answer to the question. In verse 2, he said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Have you met somebody like that? Don't elbow them. But the reality is this. That when you go to work tomorrow, you're probably going to encounter somebody that doesn't fear God. When you go to the restaurant, you're going to experience somebody who doesn't fear God. There may be in your household. Here was her problem. He was the judge and she needed something from him. And it says in verse 3, And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. Verse 4, For some time he refused. Could you imagine what this little widow woman looked like? When this judge would leave his house there in the morning, she's by his door, and, and she's doing everything but grabbing him and saying, Judge, I need you to rule on my favor. And she's probably walking with him on his way to work and he goes a little faster and she can't keep up. He gets into his, the, the courthouse. And when he comes out for lunch, guess who's there waiting at the door? Judge, I need your help. If you don't help me, nobody's going to help me. 
Again, he walks as fast as he can. He leaves her behind. He goes into the place for lunch. He comes out. There she is again. Judge, if you don't help me, nobody's going to help me. And she does this over and over and over and over again. In verse 4, the Bible tells us that for some time he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, let alone what this woman thinks, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Verse 6, Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I would ask you this question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in Crossroads Church? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in your household? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in your life? kind of embarrassing. You see a social media post, somebody asks for prayer, and, and, and we all do this, praying. And that's probably the last time we pray, if we even do it then. And yet that's not the model that God gave to us for prayer. When I see this, I can't help but remember the story about this little boy who had been sent to bed, and he yells out to his mom and dad, he says, uh, will you bring me a drink of water? And his mom says, you know, be quiet. You, you, you're, you're not getting a drink of water. And, and he does this. Mom, would you bring me a drink of water? Finally, dad gets involved. He says, look, if you ask for water one more time, I'm going to come in there and whip you. It's an older story. The kids over there don't know that what that means. And then the little boy says, well, when you come in to whip me, will you bring me a glass of water? Folks, that's the kind of praying that we need. We need to pray and not stop. We need to pray and not give up. If Jesus returned today, would he find us faithful? You see, prayer is powerful. But prayer isn't something that we do. It should be a way that we live. In 2022, will prayer be something that you do? Or will it be a way that you live? I want to pull four lessons that I think we can learn about prayer from these three stories. And number one is this, that your heavenly father wants to know what he can do for you. If you don't believe it from the stories that I've shared with you, Ephesians 3 and verse 20 says it this way, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That's who wants to know what can I do for you? But here's the second lesson we need to learn, that it takes work on our part. That's why most people don't get their, their prayers answers because they're not willing to put in the work. The second part of Ephesians 3.20 says this, according to the power at work within us, you see, what we do releases the power. Obedience or disobedience can change the outcome. And sadly, 
far too often, especially here in America, disobedience seems to rule the day. And what's crazy is that when it comes to prayer, the obedience is don't give up. Ronnie, keep asking me for that. Keep asking me. I don't believe that God wants me to ask him a thousand times because he wants to hear me beg a thousand times. I don't believe that for a second. Here's what I believe is that sometimes it takes me a thousand times before I really believe that God's going to do it. How many times is it going to take you? How many times will you have to ask before finally the light bulb comes on? You know what, God, you are the only answer. You are the only way that this is going to get done. God, if you don't do it, no one's going to do it. And all of a sudden, you start sounding like that little widow woman who's showing up at the unjust judge everywhere he went. Your heavenly father is up in heaven smiling. That's what I'm talking about, Ryan. Third lesson is this, that God specializes in helping the helpless. You th- it is not a mistake that God has demonstrated themselves in your lives when you're reaching out to orphans. God cares about the helpless. Think about this. First of all, a blind man. Is there anything more helpless than a blind person back in the, that day? They didn't have Braille. He was left beside the road to beg. The other two stories, widow women, widows who, who life, family, everything had abandoned them, and those that were in power started to abuse them. God specializes in helping the helpless. And the last lesson is this. It's not a once and done proposition. Folks, have you ever, maybe this morning, when it was 20 degrees outside, have you ever turned on the hot water and jumped in the shower and it wasn't quite hot yet? And, and, and you sneak back out and then you start waiting until the water gets hot? I think your prayers are sometimes like that. Your prayers, the, the first couple don't even, they bounce off the ceiling. A couple more, they, they get to the roof and then they bounce off. And it has nothing to do with the God who's hearing the prayer. It has everything to do with our hearts. Our hearts are what are struggling. Matter of fact, if you pull out the note taker, I'm sorry, um, yeah, look on the back of the note taker. Insistent prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. Look on the back here. Prayer isn't something that you do. It's a way that you live. Psalm 55, 17. Evening, morning, and noon. And I love this. Evening, morning, and noon, I will complain and murmur. Does that sound like your prayer life? Come on. Okay. The psalmist and Ronnie are the only two that sound like that. Okay. Um, uh, this is going to be filled up today. I know that. Evening, morning, and noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. Psalm 86.3, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. 
Have you ever prayed all day long? Have you ever cried all day long? Some of you are like, How, what? I couldn't get anything done if I prayed all day long. That's the problem because it's something that you do and it's not a way that you live. Because see, you can pray as soon as you open up your eyes at 4 o'clock in the morning. You can't go back to sleep. It'll happen at 2 o'clock in the morning. It'll happen at 6 o'clock in the morning. It'll happen before you get into the shower. It can happen after you get out of the shower. It can happen when you're walking out to your car. It can happen while you're driving your car. I've not yet met somebody who got killed because they were praying while they were driving. Now, here's one thing I, I want to tell you is you don't have to close your eyes when you pray. This past week, oh, about 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning, we got in the car and we're driving down to Clarksville, Tennessee, going to meet up with my brother and his wife. We're going to the uh, Music City Bowl game. And um, I, t- I took a, a natural supplement that in, in the past has, has acted kind of funny with me. And, um, and I, I've, been, I've taken it 75 times and never had that happen again. So I thought, well, you know what? No big deal. Uh, I did this. I drive past Mount Vernon. I'm driving down Interstate 57. And I, and I look over at Carrie and I said, Carrie, I think I'm about to black out. I don't know what she was doing on her phone, but that was a very important message that I gave her. <laughs> and she kept doing what she's doing. Now, if you ask her, she's going to tell you she was doing something on version. I don't know. I just know she didn't heed my warning. I said, honey, I said, I'm about to black out. And that's all I remember. I blacked out driving. When I come to, Carrie's looking at me. Are you with me again? I said, yeah. In that meantime, she had grabbed the steering wheel, told me to take my foot off the gas. I wasn't listening because I couldn't hear anything. She uh, maneuvers around the construction that was going on, pulls us off to the side of the road. She goes, I don't even know how we stopped. I do. She said she'd gotten out of the car, came over trying to get me to get out of the car, but I was still not with it. So finally, I I got enough semblance to walk around the car and sit down in the passenger seat, and then she drove the rest of the way. I'm confident that she was praying a little bit. I know that the rest of the way down there, I was praying. I was thanking God that he allowed us to stop safely. I was thanking God that he's not done with me yet. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Folks, our prayer should be on our lip everywhere we turn until God answers the prayer. 1 Timothy 5.5, 5, now she who is a widow. Do you get a feeling that God loves widows? He does. She who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. How many times have you prayed night and day? Gone to bed praying and woke up with the same prayer on your lips. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask, 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. I can't tell you how many people that I know who don't believe in God because God didn't answer a prayer at some point in their life. And what this verse says is, when it, it, see, we, we get English words messed up because it says ask, and we're like, okay, I asked, I didn't get it. But what this means in the Greek is to ask and keep on asking. To seek and keep on seeking. To knock and keep on knocking. The reason why we don't get answers to God's prayers is because we ask and then we walk away. Because we look for a little bit. I mean, for the car keys and then we stop looking. We knock once or twice and we move on to the next house. And yet the promise to us is if we'll ask and ask and ask and ask. That's what Luke 18, 1 says. Here's to pray and don't give up. Mark eleven seventeen says these words. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Folks, by our own confession, we've acknowledged that we all could do better in praying. We've all acknowledged that we want to do better in 2022 when it comes to prayer. Worship team, would you come forward? How many know that they need to pray more in 2022? Maybe you're here this morning and, and you just need to pray. You spent 2021 not praying. You spent 2021 a very lonely year because you didn't reach out to your heavenly father. Maybe the prayers that you need to pray are a bold prayer. Maybe you are just like blind Bartimaeus. That there, there, there is some blindness in your life. It may be spiritual it may be something to do with a job. It may be, have to do with a relationship. But there's something about your life that you can't see what God wants to and is trying to do. And just like blind Bartimaeus, you need God to give you sight in that area. And I'm here to tell you that your heavenly father is ready to give you that sight if you'll just ask. Maybe you're here this morning and the prayers that you have are big prayers. You're like that widow who has nothing left. You're down to just a, a, a little bit of olive oil. I don't know what your olive oil looks like, but here's what I know is that God can answer that request. God can provide relief where you need it. God will show himself strong where you need it. He wants to know do you want to know where the Lord God of Elijah is? And maybe, just maybe, the prayers that you need to be praying are insistent prayers. I won't even embarrass anybody by asking you to raise your hand, but how many prayers have you taken to God and you gave up on? And instead, you reached out to discover Visa, MasterCard. Instead, you just stopped the relationship. Instead, you fixed it yourself. And you never gave God a chance. You never got to the point that you realized that if God doesn't do it, it won't get done. I'm here to tell you that your Heavenly Father is asking you, what do you need me to do?
I believe that if he was sitting right there beside you and he whispered into your ear right now, he would say, how can I help? But here's the problem. It takes action on our part. The first action is we got to pray. We've actually got to ask God. We've actually got to admit that, you know what? Uh, we're helpless. I can't do it. God, if you don't do it, it ain't going to get done. Today, the altar is open. What? What did you carry through 2021 that you don't want to carry in 2022? And you want God in heaven to show himself strong in your life and to demonstrate that he is still on the throne, that he loves you, that he cares for you. I ask the prayer team to come forward now. If you would, stand to your feet. Here's the reality. It sounds good. We want to see God work, but yet we don't want to put in the work. And folks, prayer isn't something that we do. Prayer is a way that we live. And if you'll give up on prayer being a check the box, God will show himself strong in your life. Folks, don't get this mixed up. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with how good you are. It doesn't have anything to do with how many days it's been since you cussed. It has nothing to do with how many days it's been since you got drunk. Your heavenly Father wants to help you because that's what he does. Now it's up to us. The prayer team will be up here. I would encourage you to come if there's something that we can pray with you for. And maybe you just need to get up here on your knees and you need to pour out your heart to God. Because here's the reality. If we're not willing to do that, what's going to change from 2021 to 2022? Who's that family member in your life that you are, you are desperate for God to save? What's that financial situation that only you know and you've been hiding that from everybody else? What's that relationship that is broken and has no hope if God doesn't intervene? Folks, we have a God that specializes in doing just that. Join me in prayer. God, Father, thank you so much that, God, you answer bold prayers. God, I thank you that you answer big prayers. And, Lord, I ask that we are a church that will, will make Crossroads Church a house of prayer. We won't talk about it, Lord, but this is a way that we will live in 2022. Hear our voice. Hear our heart, God. And God, I ask you, show yourself strong in Jesus' name. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.